What does freedom mean to you? Freedom is inside of me. It means that I'm not hung up with like anybody's idea of how I should be. You know, I'm outside. I'm outside of society. I'm an artist. Rock and roll is my art. I'm a nigger of the universe, and I'm free because I can leap up and scream. I can put my fist up in the air. I don't give a shit. You know, I'm not afraid of death. You know, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm not afraid of uh, anything except for uh, fear itself. And that, to me, is the greatest thing to fear: is fear itself, collapse of the imagination. Otherwise. Welcome back to Nice. How are you doing, Monique? Um, I'm sick with COVID right now. So uh, if I sound bad, um, it's uh, it's the Chinese fault. Um, this episode is sponsored by Regola. Uh, use our promo code NICE20 at checkout and get yelled at by the gas station attendant. I'm staying alive. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. It's been uh, I'm going into finals week this week for community college, which I'm sure is not that bad compared to other real colleges, but... I'm feeling the squeeze a little bit and uh, smoking Paul Malls like my life depends on it. With us here today in studio, in mustachioed simpatico, is writer, producer, broadcaster, sometimes shaman, the ethnically ambiguous, schizotypically contiguous Dr. DJ Poolhouse. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, you guys. And thank you for getting my title doctor. Many people forget that, uh, yeah, I'm not, not like a licensed uh, medical practitioner, but I am a physician. Mm-hmm. Yes, I've been uh, recently subjected to some of your treatments, and I'm happy to say that I've been demon-free for the last 48 hours. It's been a real mitzvah. Well, whatever country you're from is like, uh, uh, goes and uh, spells doctor, D-H, like uh, like how the, the Spanish say, uh, ha, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, thank you, uh, Monty. I, I won't go into the uh, yeah, nature of my origin other than to say I'm very happy to hear that uh, Mac, you are demon free for multiple days in a row, probably, I guess, for the first time in, in years, you know, so that's good to hear. Uh, I'm glad to, glad to hear it. Yeah, months at least. So you have, I guess, I feel like you've summoned us here today, Poolhouse, <laughs> because you have you have a hypothesis that you've been looking to to speak under the world. Would you like to let us know a little bit about it? I Yes, yeah. So yeah, it's exciting to be here. First of all, I want to congratulate you guys on the show. It's a huge success. Because uh, I know this is not you know aired yet, but it's going to be a huge success. So I uh, am speaking that one into existence. And the idea of just talking about something uh, autistically is it comes you know really naturally to me as a person. So uh, I love the vibe. I love the idea. Um, and I was like, actually, it was hard for me, right? Like uh, many, like many of us, I guess I spurred on many different types of things. I didn't know where to land. And honestly, I was like, uh, you know, I was talking to my you know living producer, uh, and he was like. I was listening to this song that we're going to talk about. It's a song by Patti Smith. <laughs> and I was just like going off about it. And he was like, maybe this is something you should talk to those guys on the podcast about. Um, kind of, I think a little, you know, you know, implied that maybe he was sick of he talking about it. And I was like, you know, I, there, there is a point there. I have been just uh, really into this song for kind of like a decade, at least like um, it's by Patti Smith. I'm excited to talk to you guys about it. And yeah, full disclosure, I'm not even that big of a Patti Smith fan. I'm a very fascinated student, we'll say, I guess, of this particular work. Um, but yeah, I have complicated feelings about her and, and even this this piece itself. But like, I really can't wait to force you to listen to me talk about it. 
injected straight into my veins pool house <laughs> we'll do that we'll snort some we will shoot some up and uh yeah maybe homosexually rape some into you as well you, you'd never know it's all in there cool this is gonna be a fun episode to edit so i have <laughs> my first question for you pool house is before yeah. we get into yeah, yeah, yeah. the magic of it all i would like to know how did you how are you introduced to patty smith you say you're not that much of a fan but how did you arrive here it's a good question okay so i am like a music person for sure like ever since like uh, probably like high school or so I was into what we would call punk rock I guess like as a um yeah as a as a fan I wasn't like a super huge like punk person like I didn't dress punk but I was like in the like rock and roll scene I guess you know and Patti Smith is definitely revered um I in high school didn't really get into this album courses of hers like I think I listened to it once or twice I always love the song I have to believe this one I always love the song rock and roll black person there's a really good cover by Marilyn Manson that was like probably the first thing I really got into by her it was not even her version of it um but it was just like yeah she's like I don't know the first annoying thing about her is she's like so revered right like it's almost like she's like one of these people who it's like uh, she's like an ivory tower this institution so I don't always love that and then like the people she influenced is like a bunch of like girls in rock music which i'm not against women in rock music but i don't need like a whole uh loving i don't need people encouraging it i guess you know what i mean like let them find their own path we don't need to be venerating anybody over it um, so long story short it was a long time before i even really got into her music that much i would say it was probably it was when i was living in the tenderloin i was listening to horses probably because i was surrounded by um heroin quite frankly, everywhere. Uh, and I just, it felt like the vibe is listening to a lot of it, like Velvet Underground and uh, Patti Smith and just, you know, spending my days, uh, yeah, shoot, shooting up from the Tenderloin. Just kidding. I wasn't shooting up, but it was like, a, it was a vibe. And I think this song, Land, it's called Land or Land, Colon Horses. It's like actually like three songs in one. I don't know why. I just like, it picked up for me. Like kind of revealed itself. I don't know if you guys have this experience where songs like kind of are kind of like, well, whatever for you for a long time. And then like one day, all of a sudden it's like, you hear it differently. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, it's like the, the the catcher in the rye effect. If you read it at different stages of your life, it's a completely different book. And like uh, songs absolutely do that. Mm -hmm. And I, I kind of want to echo uh, some of the points you're making. I, I really like Patti Smith, but um, the, the, there is this like in the 60s, 70s, uh, like wreckers, um, like these, you know, like Patti Smith was like wearing like boys clothes and like wasn't like, a smoke show like blondie was uh so like oh her being on stage is so is so uh against the rules man like what's this ugly chick doing up there um into like you know uh i i, I attribute her to the same status as um like angela davis where like hmm. the the disciples that come afterwards are like these horrible like horrible like stupid people but like i do think that the the individuals uh like patty smith in particular um i think she's cool i like her a lot but yeah th there definitely is this um uh like paying tribute to like these like wreckers or like riffraff into like making them part of like the rules is weird mm -hmm. no totally it's antithetical to like punk rock right kind of in a way where it's supposed to be this kind of rash kind of like re uh reanimation of rock and roll punk has rules now there's so many rules. It's 
retarded. Uh, no, I'm totally with you, Monty. Like, I am wearing my Blondie shirt tonight. Uh, I, I, I don't know, like, Crass, the punk band, was probably the first band I got into from, like, punk rock, and they're super political. They hated Patti Smith. They trashed her in lyrics. Uh, Lester Bangs is kind of famous uh, rock journalist from New York in the 70s uh, and 80s. He's kind of the basis for the character in uh, Almost Famous, actually. Or no, he's he's in Almost Famous. I'm sorry. He's not he's not Cameron Crowe. He's like kind of the mentor of Cameron Crowe. Uh, he kind of trashes Patti Smith. Like, uh, it's easy to trash her. It was actually, you know, it also helped me a lot with seeing videos of her performing because she actually isn't quite, she's like in her prime was an incredible performer, like definitely like a like Mick Jagger type-esque figure, like definitely a rock and roll like dude, really. Like she kind of, like I get that she's blending the gender thing and that's what people get excited by. I think what excited me about her is just that she was a good rock performer, like regardless, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't like, you know, buying into the whole live gender uh, narrative, I guess is what I'm saying. And it is like, this whole scene of like punk rock, I was like, you know, I got into like the history of it a little bit deeper, uh, probably over the last decade. Read like P "Please Kill Me," like the famous like uh, oral history. It's it's interesting. It's this idea that they're kind of taking a throwback. They're kind of just redoing the '60s in a sense, uh, in their own way. They're just kind of like rebuilding it. They're punk rock it's kind of associated with the '70s, but there was really this tradition of it going back to the '60s. And the person who really like it's like the professor of it or kind of like blends it all together and really makes it into a thing. It really is Patti Smith. She's kind of really is a fan of like rock music and is trying to like kind of pay tribute to her heroes all throughout this kind of first uh, initial work and in a lot of ways. And I think, uh, it's interesting to me. I think she does it. She does it very artfully. I will say like, I give her a lot of credit as an artist in this period for sure. Yeah. I think this was my first real deep dive into Patti Smith. I have dated women in the past that, have been big fans um obviously that didn't really work out between us um so i think that there was always some sort of resistance for me for patty smith listening to horses this week i thought i was into it i uh, i really appreciate her ability to like work in the cover songs and kind of reinterpret them and put them in new context like she does a van morrison song as like the opener to the album, or I guess it's a them song, but it was, uh, I did find it kind of endearing that she's hopping around on stage, like a, like a seagull in a McDonald's parking lot, just like, you know, kind of giving it her all fist pumping, looking weird. You know, I, I, I can get behind all that. Um, but I feel like you, you pool house, uh, were kind of drawn to her for other reasons, other more, more magical reasons. I think you're right. The reason I guess we're going to dial into her tonight, uh, there's a kind of a weird confluence of events, I guess, uh, over the last few weeks. And I, um, yeah, so this song is pretty mysterious, right? It's called Land, Colon uh, Horses. Uh, it's famous from her uh, her repertoire. Yeah, you're right. There's It kind of ties in with this other kind of cover she does, Gloria. But the it's always really like reductive. The way it's kind of described always has been like, oh, it's uh, it's about like a William Burroughs story that she brings to life or it's about Robert Mablethorpe, her, her gay boyfriend or whatever. These like really like just pat answers people give. And I was never satisfied by those because there's a lot happening lyrically in this song. And I have, I like that. I like a mystery. I like a Bob Dylan-esque uh, song that's like clearly there's a, a key and you have to get your the key right and if you get it right you can twist it and you can start to see like a whole new narrative come out of like the like, encrypted lyrics and i could definitely i always could tell that was happening here right but it was i don't know i was just like pulling on it pulling on it over time and i started to like notice uh different things over the last few years this is like a, a really good running song i will say like when those horses mm. uh come up all of a sudden you can feel a mirror chasing you um but at the same time i didn't have it all together 
until I did this episode of Thoughts and Prayers recently with about Antarctica, and we won't actually try a lot of the same ground. It's, it's pretty different in a lot of ways, but that, I guess what I will say is I discovered this book in that research, uh, and it kind of became like the key to me kind of understanding this song in a whole nother way. Uh, I got deeper into it. I perceived a mystery that she, I think she was uh, communicating, encrypting in the lyrics. It does involve Antarctica. It's not It's not all about Antarctica. I kind of used that as a hook to get on the show. But it was like, there is Antarctica, Antarctica is in there. The poles are in there. And more specifically, like the land beyond the poles. Like she's talking about that in this, uh, in this song, which is also possibly like a flat earth anthem, possibly. I don't know. Like there's a lot happening. Um, and yeah, so that's why I'm that's why I'm here today, Mac and Monty. I'm gonna tell you these, I'm gonna demystify Patty Smith's greatest mystery. And honestly, you guys, I'm scared because I think I don't know, I might be in too deep. I'm a little bit afraid she's not gonna like that I'm doing this, and I may have to now enter into like another mind war with another rock singer, female from the 70s. We'll deal with the legal fallout afterwards. Uh, but right now I, I'm strapping my white ass down and listening. <laughs> but I will go on record and say if we lose that Ricola sponsorship, I'm gonna be pissed. Regal, are they Swiss? They should be neutral in this, I feel like. <laughs> so true, so true. Okay, so tell us a little bit about this book. You said that you uncovered a book in your research for the Thoughts and Prayers episode. What's yeah, the, what's the okay, let's let's get to there in a second, actually. Let me set this up, I think. Uh, we will we will get to the book in a, in a moment, because it's um it's in it's in there. In fact, yeah, this is crazy. I, I'm going to sound so skid, so trying to go into all this. But I guess to start this up, though, I want to say that I feel like what this song is, I have some notes here. Let me pull up my little uh, cheat sheet. But uh, land, right? It's this is not just a song. First of all, it's a musical movement, right? It's three songs essentially uh, all into one master suite. I think this is her magnum opus. I think this is truly a magnum opus in the truest sense. Like this is her application for the Illuminati. I guess is one way you could say it. I, I would also say it's like her initiation, kind of into the inner mysteries the like mystery babylon religion i think that this is a consecration of rock and roll as the mystery babylon religion of the new age i think she's not just initiating herself she's actually putting all of rock and roll into a uh new stratosphere where it is now becoming coalescing kind of around her and this vision and she's kind of like the lightning rod or the like alchemical like uh mercurial effect that's going to make this whole thing go from just like what could have been a flash in the pan, right? It could have just been the 60s, early 70s music business, whatever you go on to something else. And she's like, no, this is the framework for the new age. Uh, and I really think that she like alchemically transformed America and like our souls truly through this song. There's a lot happening here. She's doing spellcraft, you guys, I'm serious. Does this spellcraft express itself through the actual content of the song or is it more about her delivery? Like I know it's very, a lot of chanting, a lot of repetition. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I would say it is a, I actually wrote down that it's an alchemical treatise, but it's also a new type of theurgy, which is a style of magic, uh, or like a shamanistic magic, maybe. I would say, uh, and she, she's talking about rock and roll a lot in interviews at the time. Um, and also I listened to it for this re research, a lot of live performances. And uh, a thing I like about Land is it's um, iterative and it's kind of like improvisational a little bit. So it, it changed a lot over time before she recorded it. And she's always riffing the little new like things in there. And there's a lot of telling things and they they all started to affirm me. So I loved it. Uh, one of the things she would kind of riff on is just like, uh, yeah, the idea. Um, <laughs> I guess the idea of like rock and roll is a new language, a new international language. And I think it, that's kind of true, right? Uh, but it's also a new type of magic because uh, it's all the things you listed, Mac. It's 
the words the words are words are a form of magic like words are symbols and they're encrypting things that we don't even quite perceive uh that are very ancient and it's being kind of transmitted in this way that's uh, subconscious or unconscious in a way. Um, images are like a form of magic, right? Symbols uh, and rock and roll famously kind of combines both of those things. Like you're, you have visual images, especially a lot more after Patti Smith with like MTV and stuff. But even before that, you have a lot of vis visual imagery. Uh, you have the album covers, you have like performances on TV. Uh, they also, it kind of weds it to like the idea of like a celebrity or like uh, movie stars in a way right because movie stars kind of become these like new gods of the 20th century they're archetypal and they're uh things that everybody kind of knows are like modern myths and legends and rock and roll then takes the tradition ancient tradition of like song and dance as being a form of like spiritual devotion slash uh like ritual performance like that's really truly where uh, theater and dance and song come from is like from ancient rituals and it's wedding that to like this idea of these like celebrities and it's really creating this kind of new zeitgeist I feel like in a lot of ways uh, so I think the magic happens through all of it um, and then also specifically through the technology of records I think there's something strange about all these like spinning objects they just remind me of UFOs I don't know all these records turning in houses all across America powered by like electricity I don't know. I kept starting to understand like the town in Footloose like more and more and like why they did not want this stuff like uh, happening uh, in their little village. Hmm. Okay. That's interesting. So I, a question that I have is what would set someone like Patty Smith uh, apart from someone like Jonathan Richmond, who I think employs the same sort of technique, huh? you know, in modern lovers, a lot of repetition, a lot of seeming mm -hmm. improvisation. But by my assessment, I would say that Jonathan Richmond is a nice boy, mm -hmm. whereas Patty Smith, you know, there's there's some suspect qualities there. A hundred percent. No, I yeah, I agree. I I think of myself as more of a Jonathan Richmond mode, maybe than a Patty Smith mode, right? I, I love that guy, uh, but he loves Velvet Underground. He loves Patty Smith too, right? I think it's a lot about like intent. Yeah, it's like intent and and who you're kind of doing it with and for, because uh, I don't think. I don't think I think the mistake people get into is the idea that someone's doing a ritual or doing like occult things or whatever you want to call it magic whatever you call it it's automatically evil and I disagree because I think a lot of this is just uh ancient forms of like celebrating the heavens god like the idea that and there's this idea that pagans are worshiping lots of different gods and that is kind of true but there's also this notion of this like uh ineffable creator beyond everything that's kind of like the source of all of this and they're kind of just uh I don't know, these these rituals are called like Mystery Babylon or the Ancient Mysteries, uh, which is where the history of this song I, I say starts. Uh, it's like very archaic, right? It goes way back to these ancient uh, civilizations. And it's like, uh, you got like Eleusinian Mysteries and Orphic Mysteries. And they're, they're these strange um, religions that we don't know much about that involve ceremonies. Uh, where people dress up in costume. They kind of perform out these like ancient myths for each other. Uh, they take drugs, they dance, they celebrate. Uh, and everyone's kind of participating in it to some degree. But there's like these inner layers. Like, so you have like, the public is all taking part in the public mystery religions. They're learning something about it. It's kind of like a, it's like a public religion. But then as you ascend through the religion, you start to learn more secrets and there's like inner more chambers. And I think what separates Patty Smith specifically is I think she is possibly uh, yeah, an initiate of a secret society, as I was going to say, that kind of traces its uh, origins back to at least... I'm going to say to like uh, the like middle ages, I think she's an assassin. I think she's like a Sufi master. You guys, I think she is a crypto Islamicist. 
I don't know if that's going to be going a little bit far, but I think I think there's something going on here with uh, I don't know. Do you guys know who Hassan Isaba is? I know that there's a screamo band with that name, but I don't uh, I don't know the guy himself. Okay, he's just like he founds this thing called the Order of Assassins. It's um they're also known as the Ishmaelis, which I know is a whole thing with this. A lot of uh, speculation about this ancient tradition. They're picking up these ancient mysteries or religions, right? Uh, they're similar to like Knights Templar um, or Illuminati. They kind of like can be interchangeable in a lot of ways, and they're all influential on each other. Uh, and they're all real things that exist historically, even like for normie standards. But there's a lot of speculation that maybe there's a, a, a hidden current, right? That some of these uh, groups don't actually go away, that they persist to this day. And I don't know, like, the assassins are kind of, like, known for hashishism is another way that their religion is uh, known as because they're very, they're, hash is named after them. So they're kind of like, they traded in marijuana in the ancient uh, world. They were known for killing their, like, they're really people. chill guys. Yeah. Okay, so their whole thing is really crazy. I shouldn't go too deep into it, but they, like, the guy Hassan Isaba would, like, recruit members by, uh, like, basically making them unconscious, and they wake up in this, like, cave city that he had built that was, like, modeled to look like paradise, and there'd be women and all these, like, treasures and pleasures, and you'd wake up, and he was like, I brought you to paradise, and um, essentially would then be like, but I need you to go back out into the world and go kill this politician really quick for us, and then you can come back to paradise, and people, you know, they kind of believed it, right? They're, like, they're initiates into his kind of secret society, and they're going along with this whole fantasy to a degree uh put the 72 virgins in front of me and i'll do whatever you say exactly exactly yeah. Monty. it's a it's the it's the original pleasure dome i'm telling you it's like the original uh it is the original rock and roll in some ways he's kind of like uh it's it's a rock and roll kind of runaway cult and they're like they're bad guys right they're assassins they're bad they have uh hookers they've got groupies they're going out on, like on tour and whatnot i don't know we don't really know what happened to them and they're smoking weed right they're tra trafficking in dope uh they're they're fighting with the knights templar sometimes they're fighting uh, on the same side as the knights templar they're islamic maybe they're jewish it's like not clear they're constantly kind of changing and they uh which kind of makes me think that's like maybe they're just one iteration of this secret society that they is maybe a running back all the way to the ancient world, right? Mystery religions, mystery Babylon, this idea of an ancient cult maybe that persists, uh, which maybe a lot of the good things of theater and dance come out of, but there's also maybe there's a sinister element to it is I guess what I'm saying also. It's like Babylonian religion, uh, maybe tied to like Tower of Babel as well, I guess. So I wanted to, uh, I want to echo all the sentiments that, that you have there, but um, as much as a, of a fan that I am of Patti Smith, uh, I do think that she is like absolutely like spooked to the gills. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like one thing that really threw me a loop when uh, I was going into her background is uh, that her father was um, a machinist for Honeywell, which is <laughs> like bad news off the bat. Um, mm -hmm. And also it's so what you were saying before about magic and how you can go and like transmutate like these ideas and thoughts and stuff. And like, uh, I, I do think it is like, Rock and roll music is like a mind control device to a certain extent. Like mm -hmm. it's, which all music is, all culture is, blah, blah, blah. But I do think that um, this coincided a little bit too well with the Iowa Writers uh, Workshop. And I think mm -hmm. that uh, CBGB like is just the East Coast version uh, of the same project uh, that the Iowa Writers Guild was. It's, I, I think that, um, Kind of like what I was saying before about Angela Davis, this very like transgressive breaking boundaries, but then also being completely like accepted into the fold 
Like mm-hmm. nowadays, like uh, the first person to say to to do something doesn't really get the same recognition as the second or the third person. Like what we were talking about with um with uh with Basil about uh, Nicki Minaj. But for some reason, back in like the 60s, 70s, like people like Patti Smith, who were these like completely like breaking all the rules and uh, making a song like um, like Land, this just like freakazoid uh, performance art that she did on stage, mm-hmm. uh, I-, I think is just like casting spells on people. And like, I don't pretend to know what the what the government would want people being punk is. But I, I do think that like watching her performance is bewitching. I think, no, I think it's fair. Well, first of all, intelligence agencies and these secret societies and these mystery religions, they're all kind of hand in hand, right? They all kind of, there's a lot of um, symmetry, I think. The men are steric oats, man. Yeah, like also the Nazis cared about this shit. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. So it almost seems as if like there's some kind of secrets or mysteries that as you start to penetrate, uh, you suddenly start to coalesce or align with other people who have penetrated those and you kind of, seem to be engaged in, I don't know, activities to do whatever, right? It's not entirely clear. It seems sinister, though, for sure. Um, I don't know. But then there's, I don't know, you might talk to them, though, and they might say, oh, actually, no, we're doing these, we're doing these uh, amazing rituals because it's good. We need to actually, like, uh, we need to save the universe. And we, through this magic, we're going to repair the world. Maybe it would be one uh, philosophy they might have. Or they might just be like, oh, we're going to, you know, we're, we're going to restore the kingdom of heaven. Hunter, this is how we're, this is how we're doing it. They're I guess what I'm saying is their perspective, uh, not excusing it, but their perspective might be uh, noble or true. You know, like I'm saying, they may not have necessarily uh, bad intentions. And you actually used the term, I think, useful idiot earlier, maybe off air. And that's really like, yeah, that's definitely fair. I think a lot of people can get involved in things, not fully understanding what they are doing them for, who they're doing them at the behest of, because they can't see that bigger picture maybe uh, at the start. And just to clarify for any listeners, I believe... Monty, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Iowa Writers Workshop was where the whole show don't tell thing was kind of put into motion, right? Is that the origin for that? Yeah. So uh, the Iowa Writers Workshop um, at Iowa University was uh, like this really prestigious uh, workshop, it, like produced like really big names, but it was also part of uh, a CIA operation to like fight against communism and also make stories about not about collectives, but like the individual. Yeah, it was kind of the death of like socialist realism. And then I think that they really um, poured a bunch of money into like modern art, like Rothko and that sort of yeah. thing too. Like the MoMA was a CIA project. Yeah, it's like basically it. it's only real outcome. It's just like the nauseating like auto fiction that we have uh, about like people's like horrific experiences that like they're clearly getting off on. Like that's basically like the narcissist like that we're dealing with now. The CIA didn't in it. So exactly, <laughs> CIA more like CIA cluster B. I don't know. I, I lost it. Uh, no, CIA I LPGTQ. <laughs> no, it's true. Uh, and like uh, beats the beat generation. In fact, one the person I'm going to call like one of Patty Smith's initiators or her like masters. She calls no. I'm sorry. She calls her a master. She calls them her illuminated masters. William S. Burroughs, like. Mm-hmm. A, figure who I'm very fascinated who like honestly he visits me like it's very creepy I have a strange relationship to him again someone much like Patty Smith who I'm not that big of a fan of but yet also admire in a weird way and is also like 
like Patty Smith, uh, talking about a lot of interesting things. The Burroughs sides of it, he talks about like AIDS being a bioweapon. So I mm-hmm. kind of like him for a degree, but he's also connected to the CIA uh, and things like this. Um, and he's a huge influence on this song in particular and Patty Smith. He, his family is connected to um, Welcome Burroughs, like this like famous like uh, UK. Now it's like a nonprofit. It used to be actually a drug maker. They made AZT. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and now they are actually, the, they're kind of aligned with like the COVID kind of like trusted news type stuff. They're kind of funding the Gates Initiative type of uh, organization. And that's the boroughs uh, that William S. Burroughs is from. So like, it's interesting, even these, yes, very countercultural figures who are seemingly outside of society, to quote Patty Smith, are actually kind of in some kind of society, right? They seem to be a part of some kind of network. I guess another thing that I would be open to, I suppose, I, I don't know that I'm convinced of this, is that, you know, there are probably likely multiple secret societies, or we know there's multiple secret societies, right? There's a possibility that just like we see politics or geopolitics, there's like some kind of uh, occult or crypto politics happening at times too, right? There could be... Uh... We lost you, Pulhas. Uh-oh. Okay, okay. I burned out and I hit the mic and I um I knocked it. Okay. <laughs> that's like a good sign that I bet, I bet that happens a lot on this well no it's you're being silenced i well no this time i will take yeah usually i will kind of pivot pivot to that this time it was my own spazzy uh behavior um i guess yeah the idea that maybe there's lots of different societies like uh at play like this could be the case well, in fact even like uh going back to like the ass- assassins they were kind of uh, beefing with the knights templar for a while or whatever so i don't know I, I, i'm open to that I guess, but you're you're right. These countercultural people people are not what they seem. I mean, actually, Monty, you said something like, "What would it all be for?" On an intelligence level, I know I kind of see punk as like a way of creating these like shock troops for like some kind of dystopian future, kind of like what we see with Antifa in a lot of ways, uh, or the Diggers back in that era. It's the same kind of idea, and it's almost like a fashion or like a, a manufacturing of this kind of class of people. I, I actually think, oh yeah, I think a lot of things were supposed to happen at the end of the seventies that didn't, because it's a very apocalyptic mm-hmm. decade, and it yep. seems like everyone was being geared towards things like we have now: climate change, uh, weird viruses. There's a whole like vaccine campaign that happens in the seventies, United States. There's David Bowie's song, like five years, like we're all gonna, mm-hmm. and you know, there's a lot of like um, doom. There's Topia. I think the 70s are a huge reference point for our moment today, to be honest. I think we are in like a second 70s and in, in a lot of ways, uh, which is another reason maybe I'm, I'm dialed, into, dialed into this song. But yeah, the point being, um, there's a lot there. Uh, okay, I guess we should talk about the song too we should get there but i wanted to set all that because it's all important this idea of um initiation too I, just the idea of degrees um but if going all the way back again to these mystery religions to today's like freemasonry you know there's like levels right you go through these things um there's versions of it of these mystery societies and these teachings are, are available to like uh one subset of people and then as you go deeper into it you're kind of getting more and more information and you um you advance right and allegedly kind of gain maybe some powers or whatever at the same time and i feel like that was kind of the journey i feel like i took i ascended through this song i'm telling you i feel like there was one level of it that i understood at one point and as i kept getting deeper and deeper it got weirder and weirder and then as we'll learn it really all coincided or, or collided i guess in about uh like two weeks ago over this weird book um but let me get to that part let's, let's start like do you guys have any questions like, i feel like i should get into some of the lyrics and, and start because it is a long song 
I promise. Again, it won't take all night. I promise. No, that's okay. We got plenty of time. Okay, so this song is, I said it before, I think it's her, like, initiation in a lot of ways. I think, I know, so William S. Burroughs actually references Hassan Isabah in um, his book, uh, I think it's Nova Express. He has kind of this famous passage, like, the last words of Hassan Isabah, and he's, like, done this reading in in his scary-ass voice, and it's all about the bards and syndicates of Western, or the civilization, and it's weird it's weird. Um, and where I got familiar with that character, Hassan Isabah, was actually the Illuminatus trilogy, kind of a science fiction book from the 70s by Robert Anton Wilson. That's kind of like the mother of all conspiracy books in a lot of ways. Like it, it touches on like all the stuff we talked about today with Illuminati and stuff. It really popularized it in like kind of a pop way. And they kind of talk about Hassan Isabah as sort of like um, the er, like, uh, like, Illuminati person like he's kind of like the the one who got it all started like even going beyond like kind of like the uh, enlightenment period with like all the different um, people like Adam Weishaupt who founded the order of the Illuminati or even all these different like middle ages like uh, renaissance type people that we associate with like uh, enlightenment and esotericism like Hassan Isabah is really the grand initiator he's like one who brought all these people into this secret teaching um I don't know. I think that's interesting because he has uh, William Rosebrooks has that character in his uh, in his writing, um, and Patty Smith definitely is like beginning her like this song. She talks about this guy named Johnny. This whole song starting it's a narrative that starts in the hallway, and it's like a guy named Johnny. And supposedly this is a reference to Johnny in this book, The Wild Boys, by William S. Burroughs, which is some gay ass like rock and roll type book um and i don't know it's also a little bit i guess supposed to be sort of her gay boyfriend at the time so she's dating this guy robert mabel thorpe um at the time he took the picture that's like on the, the famous album cover of uh of horses he's literally gay i've read her book just kids it's like a memoir and it's, yeah it's all she lights him up in that She's a fucking, so this is where like it's i you can't trust her right because it's like it just doesn't feel honest it does not read honest that this woman didn't like, I don't know, it just feels so dishonest that she didn't quite get that he was like literally a male prostitute. He was like going out and she was just kind of like not really, maybe she's in denial a little bit, but she doesn't say that in the book. She basically has these like really whiffy, wishy-washy ways of kind of just like justifying the relationship. And she does like stand by that it was like a real relationship, which, you know, maybe it was, but uh, he was essentially out in, in New York in the seventies uh, on the streets, you know, kind of <laughs> essentially turning tricks or I was turning tricks. The reason that's important is the idea of punk, like punk music that she's kind of crafted or credited as like the, uh, you know, not inventor of or like the, the forerunner of the word punk means like it means like someone's a jailhouse bitch it, it's where it actually goes back to so it's like someone's punk is someone's like whole essentially right it's somebody that's like they they're they're owned um and it's interesting because like mabel thorpe is uh is a, he's a punk he's out there on the streets he's uh not the only one like a lot of the members of the ramones were or not a lot one of the members of the ramones uh dd ramon i think was like turning tr- yeah, the, the, there was actually a lot of songs about um him being a male prostitute. Yeah, third and third. Yeah, exactly. Same corner where Robert Mablethorpe was working, and it's like the torn jeans look of punk. That whole thing. It's like they're they've been on their knees. That's like the whole basis of that look. Um, and to be fair, wearing a, a leather jacket as a man is the sluttiest thing you can do. 
it it is well, and that, and that goes back to again like this uh, motorcycle culture. This a lot of these subcultures, like the Tom of Finland stuff that you see, like Rough Riders, exactly, and like that, and it's all coalesced around the, the beat culture, like uh, amphetamines, like gay sex, beat poetry, rock and roll. This is all kind of like fifties counterculture that she's drawing from. I think in this work very much like that's very much in the spirit of what punk rock becomes is all this stuff is in it's like dna sort of um and yeah she's she's evoking that i think with starting with this story and it's i i don't know everyone kind of like reduces this whole entire song down to like oh it's a story about this guy because she starts it with this like kind of narrative this this story about this boy he's in the hallway and his name is johnny and i think also i should say i think johnny is johnny is the he is a youth of america he is like the american male to me in so many ways like he is everybody he's also her like she's kind of embodying him because at different points of the song she's going to switch back and forth like between talking about him in a third person and then she's talking in the first person and it's not always clear you know maybe it's, it's something different but there's definitely moments where she's kind of embodying john yeah it's the innocence character yeah, no yes she yeah. and i think doing so she's transmuting she is kind of like creating a new american young american male i would say like she's she's gained she's faggotizing the american male she's doing she's punking them right she's literally punking them by injecting this rock and roll which seems rugged maybe individualistic but also has this kind of like um homoerotic kind of subtext to it mm -hmm. um sort of like maybe an occult subtext or something like that to that there's a lot of homoeroticism in secret societies in, in freemasonry and things like that johnny fell on his knees started crashing his head against the locker like yeah come on mm -hmm. So, okay, so and a lot of people assume that this is, I guess there's a homosexual rape scene. I don't think I've read uh, Wild Boys, but they're kind of saying that this whole part in the beginning, he's being raped at his school. Uh, she calls him a punk in private school in one of the like live performances, which like, that's a great image. Like I can picture they're like there. And then Johnny's, first of all, he's walking down the hallway and the, there's a mirror. She mentions a mirror at one point. And I think that's important because it's, to me, it suggests there's more going on. Like, yes, there's a literal version of this, but I think this is also Johnny's like initiation. Like, there's something happening here that is mystical that she's describing. Um, so I don't think everyone's like, okay, he drove it in deep in Johnny is the lyric, and everyone's like, it's uh, homosexual rape. Like, he's I don't know why I have to keep saying homosexual rape. It's funny. Hmm. Um, like he's he's uh, being raped by this other boy in this hallway. That doesn't really make sense to me, honestly, because it's like a hallway is not a good place to rape somebody homosexual. You want to take some, you want to take them someplace private, I would normally assume. Yeah, but at the same time, Johnny gets the feeling he's being surrounded by hung like horses, 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 horses. <laughs> like it's really easy to like to, to to make the leap of like this song, like, yeah, this is obviously like some like gay like erotica. Well, so I think it's everything. I think things. It's, I think it's all of these because I think it's also. Uh, it could also be a knife, right? Because he's like, there's images of like switchblades later. He's like a rock boy. Maybe it's a fight. Maybe he's actually stabbing Johnny because there's an idea of like blood flowing later on in the song. It could be heroin though too. He could be shooting Johnny up. He could be taking heroin for the first time. And the horses like heroin right because i think the heroin is absolutely an influence which is another thing she lies like a fucking liar she talks about doing like hash or whatever oh yeah hashish she always is talking about hashish by the way the the famous uh order of assassins drug yeah but she doesn't talk about heroin she's clearly on heroin this entire time like mm -hmm. clearly well it's funny because i was about to bring up earlier but um this song is patty smith's heroin uh by the mm -hmm. velvet underground like it's mm -hmm. like the um the the like the lungs of this the breathing of it is is like almost identical to uh, to heroin mm -hmm. which is also doing like this like magic thing 
That is very true. I didn't thought about it in that context. Well, yeah, Lou Reed. Okay, so I think Lou Reed is one of the three. I think there's three initiates or initiates that come before her that she's kind of being sponsored by almost, or she's kind of paying tribute to. Mm -hmm. Lou Reed, William S. Burroughs, and obviously Rambo, this like some other gay ass poet. I, I don't like mm -hmm. any of these. I like Lou Reed. I don't like Rambo, actually. I, I don't really know him very well. I don't know. Well, strangely enough, Patty Smith wasn't a uh, wasn't a factory girl. She never really like like too ugly. Too ugly. I know. Yeah. She washed dishes at Max's Kansas City or something. Like that, yeah, exactly. Like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, she's which actually I give her credit for because she's not pretty, right? Like she actually like probably like shouldn't have against all odds kind of gets to the where she gets, which to me even if you think she's doing some black magic, clearly she's kind of good at it, right? She's, like something, she's got a skill for something because she got someplace that most ugly chicks don't get to still to this day. It wasn't, that wasn't a glass ceiling she shattered. Like she didn't, no one talks about how like she made it safe for ugly people because frankly, that didn't happen again very often. I do think that we need to return to uh, calling ugly women witches when they're good at something. I, I, I do think that we should return to this. Mm -hmm. phenotypes don't lie or whatever right <laughs> like she looks like a witch you guys like she looks like a witch she also okay which by the way official stance of the podcast would <laughs> okay well i think fry the doll looks like patty smith a little bit i'll just say that i guess just an aside interesting to me i have a different aside which is that uh, uh rambo was big with um with television as well mm -hmm. that outfit i think a fellow cbgb's uh mainstay right money yeah, I like tele. I know I don't like television. Actually, they're they're very much associated with her. It's all those serious CBGBs I don't love. I like the uh, uh, I like your I like, I like a blonde. Yeah, I like a dead boys. I like something fun. Actually, you know, some something funny I'll mention really quick. This famous tranny called uh, Jane County. She's like this drag slash trans seventies uh, punk associated actually with the the Andy Warhol scene as well associated with CBGBs she would do a cover of uh, a tribute to Patti Smith you guess you could say where she would say uh horseshit 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 uh, that was like oh my god said the horse is because she thought it was horseshit which fair enough but I think also okay so I think the other thing he could be driving deep into Johnny is like the staff of Hermes. I think it could be like some kind of rod of initiation because she says there's an angel. She mentions an angel and this boy who's in the hallway might be this angel figure. And that's where I started to think that this angel is like a kind of a reflection or maybe a higher version of Johnny because it's like, there's the one level that's literal and there's two people, but I think there's another reading of it where there's like um, some kind of shadow self or some kind of like higher self that's kind of like being uh yeah like synthesized or joined which is kind of the idea behind initiation in a lot of traditions it's like you're kind of like ascending you're kind of unlocking this other uh higher potential and i think well she uses the word merged a lot in, merged, in, in this first exactly. song yeah exactly exactly and it could be a state it would be aided by drugs like soma is this kind of famous ancient drug that was used at the mysteries or whatever that we don't really know what it was exactly but uh the idea that you would take some kind of like uh chemical uh additive i guess or accelerant to kind of help facilitate this process and heroin i'm saving heroin for my 50s personally i just like that's my hmm. personal goal is just to wait to be until then so i don't can't say for sure but i feel like it's uh i've heard it's quite like um I don't know, have you guys done heroin <laughs> i i can yeah. safely say i haven't yeah more of a labad blue guy personally yeah <laughs> I wanted to get Coors Light too, and I still I didn't get it for our talk uh, Mac. I didn't get it for this one. Um, anyway, so yeah, this this idea. I know to me, it's like it's not just the rape, right? But it is like kind of like the spiritual rape of American of American youth. She's injecting punk into the like 
zeitgeist and kind of like the soul i think that countries have kind of like an over soul i think there's kind of this like spiritual essence or vibe that's kind of the sum total of all the parts of the uh people in a, a place or a kingdom or a nation and i think she's like tapping into it through her like little witchcraft and, and warlockery and then she's kind of injecting it with this secret religion rock and roll that we can i guess we'll call it rock and roll like her mystery religion and it's like it is satanic it's crowley and i think these people are like disciples of alistair crowley in a lot of ways it has that kind of like vibe of like uh this idea of like we want to kind of inspire the spirit of the new age and new age <laughs> this whole concept of a new age is like i think kind of significant to lou reed and i think mm-hmm. she's kind of tapping into this a lot as well it's this like esoteric idea of like uh like age of aquarius or whatever like there's a new time kind of coming and i think um like a lot of crowleyan teaching is about kind of like bringing or whatever his his kind of mission was was to bring about like the spirit of that age essentially and i think she did it i think she's part of doing it like i think she kind of uh initiated essentially like the american youth that kind of opened the doors let's just say to this kind of darker element this other current or this energy that was being cultivated by these warlocks and witches like burroughs like crowley uh like bowie i feel like like lou reed like a Mm -hmm. lot of these people's uh they're all really aligned i think it was the spirit there's a reason they all like worked and collaborated together yeah yeah Mm -hmm. or even led zeppelin like uh, all of rock and roll to me of that period especially but all of rock and roll those people are all into like uh like magic like with a k or whatever you want to call it esoteric things and they seem really dark-sided too like not even just like oh uh, the innocent reading like i was talking about earlier but like definitely like a lot of these people are into their up to their ears and like satanism essentially you know black magic and i think she's kind of like I know she's definitely on that tip. I don't. I can't say for sure that she's doing black magic because there's also there are elements of Sufism or kind of some kind of like Islamic element to what she's doing. Also, she alludes to a lot of uh, different things elsewhere um, about. I guess kind of just like uh, her prayer rug. She talks about her Afghani prayer rug in one of the live performances of this song, which I thought was really interesting and how it had elephants on it. Um, and she mentions uh, a few different things. She talks about like the like wild haired Muslim. I, I don't know. She kind of makes these like little weird references to Islam, which again makes me think that she's, I, I keep saying like a Sufi witch, a Sufi master, I guess. I don't know. Well, I mean, she did, didn't Patti Smith group put out an album called Radio Ethiopia or something like that? That's the follow up. Yeah. Which, which she also like references in here with the Hutu dance or whatever the, the, um, Watusi. Okay, let's yeah, get the Watusi. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So in that album that you mentioned, Radio Ethiopia, is a song called "Ask Ask the Angels," and like, I don't know, they seem like John D type angels, uh, like kind of like not necessarily like angels. Uh, sometimes you know, angels can be angels, but sometimes when people talk about angels, they're actually basically demons. I guess I don't know. In disguise. Yeah. Exactly. Um, okay, so he they drive. It's like a knife. Something gets driven deep in Johnny. Maybe it's a knife. Maybe it's heroin. Maybe it's a penis. Maybe it's the rod of initiation. Maybe it's all of them. Because oh yeah, because homosexual uh, acts are used in Crowleyan witchcraft. They're used in Freemason certain types of Freemasonry uh, rituals, secret societies. It's not uh, a secret, right? So like, there's a there's a tie-in. It's kind of representing his initiation into the mystery religion, uh, but also like, and what happens, it like unlocks kind of like the mysteries, like the public mysteries. Like, so we move into like, kind of like this period, this movement called uh, Land of a Thousand Dances. It's a cover, uh, a bunch of people have done that. I think Wilson Pickett's like the really famous version of it, but um, 
her version is different. I actually really like, like what she does with the song, but it's kind of like uh, talking about all these different dance crazes. And to me, was it's kind of like uh, highlighting is like the return of the mysteries. And that's a big kind of um, component of like new age, like going back to like uh, the 1800s, 1900s, a lot of these esoteric kind of people uh, like Madame Blavatsky and all these different kind of theosophy type movements of the 20th century, they talk a lot about wanting to restore the mysteries uh, which means bring back those ancient mystery Babylon religion kind of teachings and make them uh, open to the public and like take them out of the secret society element. They would still have their inner sanctums and their secret secrets within them uh, within themselves, but they would be brought back into like kind of the public sphere and there'd be public awareness of them. And I think Land of a Thousand Dances is like about that. Um, I don't know, like a dance craze, like kind of implies like the craze part, right? It kind of implies ec ecstatic dancing or like, uh, which, you know, is another form of, I guess, ritual uh, performance, but kind of the idea of losing yourself into the dance, right? And kind of becoming overtaken by some sort of spiritual force. Mm -hmm. There's also just the the combination of what's essentially kind of a silly dance number. It's like the cha-cha slide of mm -hmm. the 1950s mm -hmm. and 60s, um, and then putting her own spin on it. I mean, it's kind of like a bastardization of something, you know, innocent. It reminds me of when people were putting like, scary youtube kids videos out mm -hmm. and the algorithm would serve them to toddlers mm -hmm. and horrify them but it's uh like music on its whole and also the whole like like punk and rock and roll music to kind of echo uh what you're saying pool house it's because it's a, such a modern phenomenon uh and also it coincided with like some of the most like socially engineered like intelligence projects like we've ever seen at least that we know of right now obviously we're under subject to them left and right but the, like the FOIA documents, music and like dancing is something that is so uncontrollable and then goes and creates a backdoor into your mind uh, to go and supplant whatever you want. The second you start like, like, you know, shaking your ass to like Nicki Minaj or something, uh, she can kind of say whatever she wants and like implant that into you. Mm -hmm. and, and so this whole like do the alligator, do the alligator and you twist the twister like your baby sister. Like it's like it, it kind of really does go in. um like this is infectious. Like you are helpless to the dance, and I love I love that she uses alligator here because just like the maw that you're walking into. Mm -hmm, uh huh. Uh huh. Um, yes, I also think what makes this hard to I guess quantify is definitely evil is the idea what you just said. You can lose yourself in the dance. Uh, I think negatively, like you can become kind of enslaved by it to a degree. But I think. It's also uncontrollable in the sense that you could lose yourself to the dance and become like inspired, like truly like find God or right. I mean, no, it, it, it's an unbridled, like, like yeah. incredible human emotion uh, to be compelled into like dance song and like, it, like immediately sparks joy. Mm -hmm. uh, like the fact that like sad music uh, goes and like makes you sad. is kind mm -hmm. of what I'm talking about here. It's mm -hmm. not, a, it, it's not a matter of, uh, oh, it makes you sad, so therefore it's bad. No, it's it's one of the most yeah. beautiful expressions uh, that an or that an artist can do is to evoke that. But at the same time, it's it's so sinister because it creates this back door. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm also I don't know if you guys have read this, but I'm reminded of the judge dancing at the end of Blood Meridian, where exactly. it's just like exactly. an expression of absolute like horror, um, but in a you know kind of a jovial way. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm not, yeah, I guess I will say, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think 
it's good to have the mysteries uh, restored by like secret societies, I guess, in this kind of way. Um, I, as much as I said, I think that there are, of course, like good elements to all of this stuff. Because you're right, it's all it can all be weaponized very easily. I guess is like another way of saying like yeah, what you're what you're saying. I think Monty, and it's it's true and. I think where this stuff kind of, or my personal take is like where all this stuff originated from is uh, probably a pure and good place. Like I think way, way back, probably like the dawn of time, let's say, or before the dawn of time, there was like a, a version of the mysteries that was probably not quite so sinister. But I think over time it starts to get kind of like corrupted. And, and I think by the time it gets to like the ancient world, like uh, Greece and, and ancient Babylon, it's basically kind of pretty much dark side already there. And then you've got and secret societies, uh, mystery religions, free i keep saying free me it's supposed to say brotherhoods or whatever they're associated with mind control a lot right as mm -hmm. well right it's kind of what we're talking about and so it's like the idea of mesmerism or people being like hoodwinked or put under a spell that they're uh controlled by the idea of a manchurian candidate even like through intelligence communities those are all kind of connected to like literal arts or dark arts right practices of some of these secret societies and yes exactly that would be like the dance craze is essentially like a mass virus of like mind control. Like you can put people under uh, a, a spell. And I think it's interesting that this, she's doing a cover right in the sixties. This is land of a thousand dance period is right after like the murder of JFK, which mm -hmm. I kind of think is like a ritual in its own way. I think it's, well, first of all, it's a very traumatic event um, and very much used for mind control in that, in that way. And then you have like the kind of sixties as we kind of know it start after, after that period. And you do have all these dance crazes like the Watusi, which is, I guess, like a, I don't know, it's like an African tribe. I guess they're famous for their dances. I don't know that much about the Watusis, but it's fun to say, um, but like all of those ones. And what's the, but she talks about like, yeah, Pony, Pony Moroni. She's like referencing it. There's another horse reference there too. Yeah. But yeah, I think that these are representative of, um, yeah, I think she's celebrating like the it's rock and roll is becoming the religion of this uh this mystery religion it's a consecrate it's like I said it's consecration and that is like this kind of like celebratory moment but it's kind of like uh the devil right it's sort of like the like I guess like a sympathy for the devil slash kind of just this like truly like a debaucherous uh celebration I guess I don't know that's what I read from, from that section of, of Johnny's Johnny's journey Okay, so this next section, okay, she goes in the section and she says, life is filled with holes, which is a really, I don't know, it's an interesting statement. Okay, so I think, okay, so I think what this song is going into now is a lot of, uh, we're going to get into her, like, she has a vision. So the part of, like, an initiation ritual is uh, the idea that you're going to provoke some kind of spiritual experience. Um, dancing can produce the same thing, too, like, ex ecstasy, right? Truly, like, a transcendent uh, religious experience. Um, a lot of secret societies do this by like basically simulating death, like some kind of like near death or fake near death experience. Like one famous one that I've heard of is Skull and Bones, where they like put you in a coffin and you jerk off, and then you're like in this coffin and buried alive. And yep. she references like in this part, she's like Johnny's in a sperm coffin, and it's like a really really weird thing to say. I cannot believe it is not related to a secret society. It, it has to, it has to be Skull and Bones specifically. I mean, that's such a famous story. Uh, well, it, it's also it, it, it's jerking off on the skull of Geronimo. Exactly, that's right. Okay, that is correct. And, yeah. And okay. And what's interesting though is that so it's it's famous for us, but it's interesting to think about this uh, in the seventies. So there's no internet. So a lot pre-internet. Yeah, yeah. Pre-internet. It's around. It, it, but it is around. But it's like you have. But like, why do you know this? 
Exactly. Well, she, so Patty Smith's story is interesting. The fact that she was like Jehovah's witness and kind of like quits being like super religious. And she, I think was pretty like whatever conspiracy theory was called then. Like she talks about reading books about UFOs and like, her teens and stuff. So she was definitely into quote unquote conspiracy theory, I guess. And that would be, maybe that makes sense how she would kind of be aware maybe of some of this stuff uh, possibly. But I think also <laughs> it's very possible someone told like the sperm coffin piece like i can't imagine that was like really well known in this that period maybe it was i, I don't know what but that seems like, to, like a product of the internet that we would know something like that like bohemian grove that type of stuff like that's all stuff that we know because it was like, like george hw bush is not talking about this you're not supposed to <laughs> you're not supposed to I don't know. So I think the whole, okay, going into this part, so I think she's starting to have a kind of like, we're going to a part where there's a, some kind of mystical experiences happening to her slash Johnny and mysteries are being revealed. And that's, I think, where a lot of this weirdness starts to get weird, I guess. And that's where I think she starts to talk about Antarctica. So I think the holes, though, first of all, I think the holes could be like portals. The, pol- the holes are like portals. Okay, the holes are portals. The holes could be like UFOs, kind of too. Like I was thinking, like UFOs maybe in the sky because she is talking about space here in a moment. Um, they're like holes. Like also, I was thinking about like, the middle of like a record. How there's like a little hole in it, and those are kind of uh, you know rotating. They could be like subatomic particles or like the spheres of like like a cabalistic tree of life. They're like these like the idea of planets almost like, but they're holes that I don't know. Like I think she's talking about portals basically like magical portals and she's referring to like kind of um all of those things oh also there's a weird reference she talks about the there's no keeper to the key uh, at one point in this section and in one of the live performances she does this whole riff between key and hole and talking about a keyhole and it's interesting because i think that's another way to think of a hole of course is a keyhole and then that's getting now into like this idea of initiation and we get into this like key of wisdom or whatever that unlocks the the doors or whatever of uh, the keeper the keeper she, she doesn't and yeah the key is the key's there for anyone's taking i think that's part of the I, know, I, I think that's it's an interesting statement. Um, one thing that's interesting about the keyholes to me is that like um, Ursa Major or the Little Dipper and the Big Dipper, I've heard them kind of described as keyholes. And the, the, the way that they the, in the sky relate to each other, it looks like one. Yeah, they look like a hole. They look and they're, so they relate to the poles, right? The, they're holes that are related to the keyholes related to the poles. And I think the holes and the poles. There's holes and poles in this a lot. And I think... I've heard them described as like gateways too at, at, at different points and they're somehow related to these gates. And that's when I like, okay, so I, I kind of was aware of all of that. And then she talks, starts talking about the sea of possibilities at this point. And I was like, uh, didn't have a deep understanding of that at first. When I was researching uh, Antarctica for Thoughts and Prayers, I did come across this like really weird book from 1950, like, ooh, uh, let's see, 1950, like, eight uh it's called worlds beyond the poles by f amadeo giannini and he has this theory that like well it's a theory slash there's some anecdotes from people who explore the poles but essentially says that there's worlds beyond the poles that are not of our world not of our planet he's not a globe earth person i guess that goes without saying Hmm. but he's basically saying that the entire continuous physicality he's saying the entire universe there's other planets there's other places it's all one big place it's all one large area he says actually in the book uh and in these pages, we describe the physical land routes from the earth to every land area of the universe about us which is all land such routes extend from beyond the north pole and south pole so-called ends of the earth as decreed by theory 
but the really interesting part is that he says that um, the land area of the entire universe about us, which is all land. And I don't know, I was like thinking about this song and all of a sudden I was like, she's, she's like, there's no land, but the land. And I was like, huh. I don't know, because I was already thinking about the sea of possibilities as being like the night sky. Um, and I was starting to think already before this that maybe she was talking about the firmament a little bit somehow, because there's this idea that the waters of the heavens are separated from the waters of the earth by the, the firmament. And that maybe like space is almost kind of like an ocean, I guess. Um, and I think, I don't know. It, it's more like space than than unlike space. It is more like space, regardless. Even, yeah, regardless, regardless, right? And I think... With this theory, I don't know, this theory that there's like a way to go beyond the poles, which are kind of like these holes or these gateways to these other lands that exist, but they're not other lands because there's no land but the land and there's no sea where the sea. It's all one big universe, but we're just kind of in this small microcosm of it, I guess you could say. Uh, and the other plants, or the, the other holes are kind of like these other planets are somehow accessible to her through this uh, ritual or through this kind of this moment. I don't know. I think she was revealed this stuff somehow, either through her initiation. Maybe she read it. Maybe she read this book. This book's kind of obscure, but it's like it's of her time, right? I mean, if she's into like UFOs and she's into like a lot of this stuff like in the in the 70s, then like <laughs> you can't put anything past her. The Nazi Antarctica stuff, I think, was actually more known then than it actually probably is now. I feel like there was more speculation in, like, kind of counterculture areas about some of this stuff than we even realize now, I think. Uh, but I don't know. Like, that's, I think the sea of possibilities is space. Well, she says there's a place called space, right? And then she starts talking about the sea of possibilities. And, okay. Okay, yeah. So I think she's talking about the land being no land, that there is, like, just this world that she's able to perceive that we could i guess in theory walk to but i don't think we could walk to you because you have to get to them through you know like the van allen radiation belt that's that's i guess the physical uh limitation of it but she's talking about like she starts talking about the like silky hair of this like horse and this is when i started to realize she was doing a lot of wordplay where i kind of knew this already because she's okay so the song's called uh horses right but it's also called la mer there's a section there and the la mer means the sea right mm -hmm. but then mer m-e-r mer means the sea but m-a-r-e is a horse right it's a horse yeah. and so she's doing this stuff and she does this in her live stuff a lot she was at one point talking about radio and she's like i love radio because it's a ray and dio which means god and i was like oh wow i didn't thought of radio that way but that kind of definitely affirms the fact that she does a lot of this like uh what is it, like homonyms or she's playing with words and the way that they sound um so I think, and then the last section, is like, it's called La Mer, like with parentheses D-E. At one point it's listed that way, which means uh, like, like shit. Okay, so I think Mare, Mare, Mare. I think she's doing like four versions of the same word. There's Mare, the horses. There's La Mer, the sea. But then there's like M-A-R-E, like Mare or Mare, which is what the seas of the moon are named, right? There's like the, the official Latin names are the seas of the moon. So there's like, she's talking about like the the moon which is the land which is there's no land but this land it, i don't know like i think she's talking about that and then the merde the sh the bullshit i think that goes to the babble piece so bullshit maybe could be another word for babble but i think she's talking about bullshit in a way of like an abstraction of language in a way uh in one of her live performances wait i have this quote because it's really crazy she says she wants to go beyond language that's what she says she's trying to do she wants to go beyond space and beyond language she also she also says in this section at one point in the live performance like haven't you ever had have you ever had an extraterrestrial adventure which I thought was like super uh, apt for this song like she's definitely talking about like 
something science fictiony, something cosmic, something beyond like just like the material world. Definitely something way beyond like uh like homosexual rape in a hallway. Uh, beyond the North and South Poles. Beyond the North and the South Poles, beyond those, beyond those e-holes in space or whatever. Uh well, like, I mean, I, I think that like it's uh I I don't know what an argument against like poetry being magic is like poetry just simply is like the, the the playing with words and playing on the the inherent meaning of not only just like the word itself but also how the uh, letters themselves hmm. go and like correspond to create the word mm-hmm. uh, create so much and so what you were saying about like mare 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 she's obviously like casting some kind of strange spell here mm-hmm. and like trying to capture you. And, and like mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. rip out whatever feeling she wants mm-hmm. and i think that it's fair fair this song itself off of like her most popular album yeah this is obviously witchcraft like this obviously does something mm-hmm, to like mm-hmm. capture you but we're stealing we're we're demystifying it now we're like we're reversing her curse because if it was a curse like it's gonna be ruined i feel like now because i don't think i don't think anyone's i know i tried to find writing about this song in general most of it's very like surprisingly like superficial i don't know like maybe there's stuff that i just couldn't find but like it's all very much like taking it pretty literally and then talking about just you know the um like the burroughs influence and like the rambo influences and such uh which also there's a reference i should say fills his nose with snow earlier so there's more there's drug references there also um and we should go beyond yeah she's trying to go beyond language she's also talking you know about how like um rock and roll is this language i think she's trying to She's trying to go beyond Babel. Like, I think with t- the Tower of Babel, you know, the story is very mysterious. And I don't think we fully really grasp it, to be honest, because it's surprisingly a very short little uh, section of the Bible. But this idea that there's this, uh, you know, attempt to kind of bring the people of the world together and in reach, the, maybe reach the heavens or maybe do some kind of witchcraft themselves. Because actually, if you read the uh, kind of the notes on the story of the Tower of Babel, the way it's described, we kind of think of it, it stretches up to the heavens. But what the kind of like old commentary says is that it's actually like the word they use implies zodiac. Like there's a zodiac on the sky. So the Tower of Babel is more of like a, a temple or a mystery temple. Like a, probably the source of the mystery Babylon religion is like the Tower of Babel. And she says like at that Tower of Babel, they knew what they were after. It's hard to understand or grasp, but I feel like because it's we think of it as just like, oh, they wanted one language or they wanted one world, which I think is kind of part of it. But I think they're trying to go almost beyond language or I don't know. I think there's this idea that something happened at Babel and then it resulted in the way that we have language now. And that way that we have language now is a virus, as as like Bill, William Burroughs would say, language is a virus. Like something happened and it's not pure language. Like we're in a language with words and letters and spells, right? And that is not the way that language is intended. I think language is supposed to be more of like, intuitive and through the heart and maybe doesn't use actual words i don't know and i think at Babel they were trying to do something i think they were trying to honestly i don't know how to explain this go beyond this world i think they were trying to go beyond the poles with Babel. i think Babel is not really about like language at all i think they were trying to get to the land beyond the land like you know i mean they're trying to go somewhere somewhere somehow some way else i guess i don't know that's uh that's what i guess i would say on that piece but she's Babel, right? Like she's doing Babel in a lot of ways. Like a lot of her performances in this period, she has a song actually that's kind of, I think, part of this. It's spun out of her live performances called Babelog, where she's just kind of like speaking in tongues, right? So, which is that term, speaking in tongues, it's like kind of related to this idea of, of Babel. 
I think she's kind of trying to like abuse language almost. Like, yes, I think you're you're fair, Mandy. I think you're right that she's using language in a probably intentional way uh, for nefarious purposes. But I think there's also a reading where she's using it for herself to kind of penetrate language or go beyond it for this ascension, for whatever this like kind of initiation process is. And that she's kind of trying to basically, yeah, do controlled babble, I guess. And the babble is bullshit. So that's like the other, that's the fourth mare, I guess. Uh, it's her four horses of like Patty Smith apocalypse. Because she does say horses four times and she, it's like mare, 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 mare. There's like these four versions of it as well. And she's basically, I don't know, there's a part where she's talking about this like silky horse. I think that that's kind of a reference to the moon also. Because it's like, there's, I don't know. There, I have a, an interpretation there. that She's basically like, she said she steps up a stair and she goes towards this this horse or this, this shadowy figure she sees the seas of possibilities. I think it's a full moon ritual because a possibility or potential would be like the full moon at its fullest. Um, so I think that's all kind of coalescing at this part of the song. And it's a, a climax. It's a climax of all these different threads. And it's like kind of propelling her higher and higher in this like uh, quest for ascension. I mean, she talks about a mirror in that that first bit. What is the moon but a mirror? Mm -hmm. Oh, very nice. Very nice. She, what does she say about Amir? Live in one of the live versions, she says something. About, oh, I think she says like a snow covered mirror, which I think is kind of funny because there is the reference to the snow. She mentions a golden book at one point, too. She says, I believe in the golden book, uh, which to me oh, kind of makes yeah. me think of like the Akashic Records, maybe, or some kind of like uh, some kind of transcendent text. Um, I know the live versions are interesting. I think she had to cut a lot of that stuff because I think it would have given too many clues to like what she was trying to say. Um, okay, I think that is okay. That's the okay. That's the uh, apotheosis of the song. I'm gonna I'm gonna get us I'm gonna get us there. We're gonna land this plane in a second. Hmm. Uh, it is so. So she's doing this kind of performance, yes, and it's also alchemical and it's recorded. So it's like also with recorded music. Like I have this whole thing that like master tapes, right? There are impressions of, of frequencies, but they're also pulling like other forces into those master tapes that's why the master tapes are so important even to this day in music is they have this impression from the other side on them uh which are recorded in studios which are just temples studios are just like a modern day temple mm -hmm. uh and this one's done at electric lady electric lady land studios or electric lady studios which is Jimi hendrix's uh studio she has this whole story where she's like Jimi hendrix's ghost like came to me while we were recording not this song but a different one that's like a tribute to him on the album he gave me the n-word pass yeah he did he did give it to her it's like it's unfair people to like take it back from her i would say uh but no I, yeah no it's really interesting to me that it's um I think, yeah, this song, this recording itself, like one of the things she's like, how do we cut horses? This is how we did it. And she launches into that beginning part and it's like the boy looked in the hallway, blah, 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 blah. And it's like the way she delivers it live is almost the same every single time. And I think that's really interesting because it's like, uh, you're right to your point that it's like some kind of intentional witchcraft, yes. But it's also like, I don't know, there's just some kind of like embodiment or some kind of possession almost that kind of takes hold of her when she's doing this song. And okay, at one point in the song, she says, you got to lose control, right? During the land of a thousand dances, which is like the idea that you're going to have to surrender during these like, you know, dances, you might lose yourself to whatever this thing is. I think she talks about it. One of the live things, how it's like hard for her to lose control completely. She's like, I can't completely go give up. And I think it's interesting because at one point in her career, very shortly after this, uh, she does lose control. She's on stage and she like 
is dancing in Florida and she actually falls off the stage. It's a really pivotal moment in her career. She falls and she like breaks her neck. And I think it's like, I think it's God slapping her down because I think she was getting too high. I think she was like getting too close to the sun through whatever this- uh, Too big for her britches. Basically, yes. I think she, yeah, she it was a slap in the face. I think, I think so. I don't know. And I think that was kind of like her- yeah, her own kind of fall from grace or her own tumble. So the song kind of reaches this climax. She talks about coils at one point, which I think, again, is the, uh, like, kind of, like, I know, it makes me think of, like, Hermes for some reason. It makes me think about the staff of Hermes. I think there's a lot of uh, other references that I have not necessarily touched on or decoded myself. But it definitely feels like we reach a fever pitch, like a climax. And then uh, it kind of melts down. It's very, like, much like the process of creation or, like, uh, sex, right? There's a whole orgasm or ecstatic moment. And then she kind of, like, cools down. And you kind of end up back at the beginning of the song. Um, Yeah, you end up at the beginning of the song where it's just, like, really slow. Uh, It's the same kind of vibe and mood. She's actually not just the beginning of the song. She starts to reference the beginning of the album. She does a few lines from Gloria, which is how the album starts. And to me, it's kind of just, like, this symmetry of, like, uh, you know, creation and you know destruction and resurrection you know alpha and omega she's kind of bringing us in this whole cycle of a journey and we're back at the beginning for but but now we're changed now we're like uh initiates of patty smith and she's oh she says that when she says we're we're uh, you're a part of me right we're intertwined we're twined together or whatever so now we're at the end we're back at the beginning and it is but we're now yeah we're now rock and roll black folks of patty smith's yeah that's i guess why i would end there um yeah sorry that was a lot but that's what we do here. Yeah. Okay, so my question is you broke down all of the the symbology in the song, mm-hmm. kind of the the method by which it would work to communicate information. Mm-hmm. My question for you is what is the ultimate purpose of the message? Mm-hmm. What what has Patty Smith achieved through this message? Mm-hmm. And do you think it comes from her? Does it come from her handlers? Does it come from, you know, the great unknown that drives the universe? I think we can speculate, right? I guess we can't ever say for sure. It's hard to speak to, uh, I guess, intention. I think when some of the things I think definitely happened, I think this was definitely some type of initiation for her. The idea of a magnum opus, uh, it, you know, it's like, uh, or, or mastery. Like it kind of comes from like Freemasonry, this idea that you're taking all these elements of yourself and you're, it's alchemy, really. You're going to distill it all down into this like uh, creation, which is, you know, kind of like um, mm-hmm. in service to the creation of the universe. You're kind of replicating plan for the world you're kind of creating this uh miniature version transmutation yeah exactly and i don't think that's i don't think that's I mean, some people could quibble i don't i don't think that that's evil i think that that's a, a i think with a lot of this stuff even it's like, literally miracles exactly it, it depends on your perspective if you're a, a hardcore christian you might find ways to say like no but then i would also say like any building any kind of anything you do is a recreation of creation like it's like it's all what we do on on our you mean to tell me that i i i, I flick a switch and uh there's light and power in the entirety of a room i i'm sorry like it's we take for granted these like like these modern magics uh every single day well, some of us are in community college right now learning about all this stuff. We don't take it for granted anymore, just to say. So true. Oh my gosh. I I just pictured like that electrical like map grid thing. I don't even know what it's actually called, but there was like a really crazy chart I saw once. It's an electrician's grid and um, it looked like a map of the universe <laughs> to me. And that's why I posted once <laughs> and said it was. Yeah, with the electricity though, like 
that's worse to me than like rock and roll. Well, rock and roll song is using electricity, right? Um, and, and I want to, yeah. Famously. And then she was just talking about the gadgets at one point. She's like, we went and got all the gadgets. We wanted like what the 13th floor elevators had. So we got their amps and their like pedals. And I was like thinking about it. And, and Jimmy uh, Hendrix famously, you know, has uh, his Stratocasters or whatever. Those are all like... Those are all synthesizers for guitars. Like it's so funny to me that there's like uh, a thought that like electronic music is somehow like not uh, good, but like rock and roll or guitar music is like more pure. If you're playing with an electric guitar, you're playing with the devil's guitar. Basically, you're playing with electricity. And electricity is kind of scary. Like it is scary. And all these, I think those telecommunications—they're worse than like. It's a- very scary. David Lynch has a lot to say about this in Twin Peaks. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I think I think a book or a uh, you know a, a ballet or something like that is going to be way less, even if it's dark-sided, Carmina Burana or something, it's going to be, like, less dark-sided than, like, just picking up a telephone. (laughs) Like, if you're going to engage with that stuff, you know? So, like, just put it in perspective. So we talked a lot about the transmutative power of words um, with this song. Uh, I think that this is something that also happens just with music itself. I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever been to a hardcore show, but when... Mm the beatdown part starts on the guitars and the drums and the bass, the beatdown part starts in the audience as well. And I think that melding those two mediums uh, really gives the opportunity for control and also for communication. I mean, you talked about, or I was thinking about while you were talking that maybe having a language removes our ability to communicate based on vibes alone and for things to be communicated intuitively. Because I mean, that's, animals do this all the time and animals don't have any concept of language similarly with music me and my old drummer used to play this game where i would turn my back to him and he would try and hit the cymbals and catch me off guard where i wouldn't hit the guitar at the same time and we were always in sync the entire time even though there was no there was no visual or verbal communication we were still able to communicate somehow without seeing or hearing each other except for in that moment when we played at the same time so i think that the power of music itself as uh, a way to control or influence or communicate some sort of intention or some sort of behavior is just as powerful as you know singing about holes beautifully stated uh no i think that's totally true and what you're describing, yeah, is like kind of uh, what I was thinking of is like this kind of pure nature of language. Like you guys were in a form of language th- through music in that moment, right? That was like, uh, it didn't require words. It didn't require even visual cues, you know? And I think that is, I think that's what she was getting at. And that's why it's hard for me to, I guess, fully say that like, oh, it's all demonic witchcraft. And maybe it's not even fair to, maybe things can be lots of things, I guess. I don't know. Because I think there's definitely an element of this where she's kind of trying to achieve that for herself. I think she's trying to be able to be in that state of uh, communion with, I guess, like, like nature or like uh, with herself or, or the other people to be able to kind of in that pure zone where she can kind of communicate. I think she's trying to get there through like heroin. I think she's trying to get there through rock and roll. Mm-hmm. I think it's a lot of these things. But I think it's um, also kind of, yeah, there's this a dark side element, right? There's also this kind of ramification that can happen. There's like uh, punk music, like yeah, sure it's fun, like I yeah I, I like it, but all of the the dissonance and like the the distortions mm-hmm. in the guitars from rock and roll in general, like it's all kind of coming. Uh, what is that thing called? So the devil's tritone or whatever. There's a, there's a whole undercurrent within rock and roll of it. The being, brown noise. It, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's 
you're right that it's like she's working with kind of like forces that maybe we, she doesn't even fully understand that like we don't understand uh and i think what's interesting is i think there's like this element of chaos too because it's like just like yeah just like with dance crazes uh or like rock and roll deploying lsd at scale like we know intelligence agencies did this and i've always found it so interesting because you can't control everybody's experience. You can give a lot of people LSD and put them in environments where they become very susceptible to control, but there's going to always be somebody who's just going to have like a breakthrough and they're not going to fucking, it's not going to work on them anymore, you know? And like, what do you do then? So I think it's interesting that that takes place. Some of it makes me wonder, is this uh, done on purpose by societies to, do they deploy these cultural like movements, like a punk or something to kind of evaluate people kind of like sort them into groups and see which ones kind of really fall in line who does have that experience uh who's provoked by patty smith's horses and becomes like a, a michael stipe or something like that you know who comes who goes on that we can now recruit and bring into like the into the fold or or what have you you know uh but i do think there is interesting yeah there's just different things you can't control always even if i think you're even if you think you're an all controlling secret society you know there's going to be stuff beyond your grasp and I know it's interesting because like she is kind of anti-establishment she hates Israel to this day so it's like interesting to me like they're like William S. Burroughs her kind of one of her mentors definitely mm. not like a pro like anything guy he hates everything but he really is talking about like a lot of the things that we're talking about tonight like secret societies uh, hidden forces controlling the world the power of language to control people those are all themes in his work um so it is I don't know just it's always it's only schizo and like insane if it doesn't exist and we are constantly reaffirmed with the presence of it actually existing here's what i actually will say i think what she was trying to do in this in some ways i had said it was like kind of balance those sides i think she was kind of trying to balance like the good and the bad you know she's i guess she was a christian right she was a jehovah's witness and then she kind of falls for rock and roll that becomes her religion but I think there's something, I don't, she's not a bad person. I, I don't get the feeling that she's like uh, not like caring about other people or not moral in certain ways. I don't, I think that this project is trying, her trying to purify rock and roll for herself in a way and try to yeah. like you know, raise it up a little bit and make it more like Christ-like or more God-like or whatever. And I think it's part of the reason she gets slapped down <laughs> a few years later. And I, I just love the, the Tower of Babel uh, like example with this because it, it is like the, um, the the rock and roll poet on stage going and like having it all like actually, which is why I think she's amazing because uh, she actually does have like that star power and the ability to kind of reshape like what rock and roll was at that point. Because I mean, she's surrounded by the Ramones who have these like incredible anthems, but then she can go and pull out anthems of her own like because the night mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, she's like so incredibly talented um mm -hmm. but at the same time it's uh she like flew a little too close to the sun and got struck down mm -hmm. i i just think that it, it the, the tower of babel example is just like too perfect so true it's so true she yeah she got babbled herself uh and i think also her ability to use like uh references or use language the language of culture for as yeah for her own work it it's very much like bob dylan to me right like he's very like the master of this and i think he's a, a clearly an influence there too but just being able to kind of like build uh something out of these other pieces that becomes its own it, it, it's transmutation i guess in its own way as, as well but you're kind of creating this like uh mosaic almost or this kind of new creation out of the parts of uh not just culture, but like, you know, the past out of, out of yeah. these references. And in doing so, you know, every time you're recycling these kind of um, uh, things, you know, we get, we, you know, each time you're doing it, you're kind of like um, reinfusing it with meaning. But 
that meaning doesn't go away. It, mm-hmm. Just like we talked about letters, like the idea of a letter, like that's very ancient. And there's like this hidden symbolism behind the letters because they had a meaning. They came from a place, right? They were picture, they're depictions of things. We don't think about those things, but that meaning is always there, right? It's always Superman's in the S on his chest. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And I think she's kind of, by doing it with like this kind of a cultural pastiche or whatever, uh, it has a lot of power, I guess. I know, I think it's interesting. It's something I like. I've always been fascinated by that uh, ability to do it. It is kind of Kabbalistic in this this way. Uh, And I don't know, I think whatever, yeah, whatever she is, whether good or bad, she was very good at it at that time, for for sure. Uh, She was a very uh, skilled witch, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Awesome. Well, it seems like we at least maybe if we haven't gotten to the bottom of something, we've at least gotten to the middle of it. Uh, and listeners, if you've been picking up all of the coded messages that Pool House has been giving off, then please, you know, send us a send us a message. We'll we'll be sure to uh, send you your MK Ultra trigger phrase via DM. Um, and I think that we can transition into our lightning round portion, a little segment that I've borrowed from the good folks over at Backlash productions um so we're gonna play a little hot or not today pool house and by that i mean if i would say if one of these artists is hot that would mean that there's in some way practicing magic uh to a degree through their music through their art uh and if they're not then that just means that they're regular which is also fine um but maybe they're just nepotism yes <laughs> yeah potential you know cia asset but not uh not interwoven into the fabric of the universe so the first one on the list here i think we've actually covered because i believe you said he was part of the kind of trinity of uh initiates which is lou reed yeah no he's uh definitely hot uh he white light white heat that's a mm-hmm. reference uh, to like like yeah white magic he was a disciple of alice bailey actually that says uh she's yeah very interesting writer in her own great uh loosest trust they have a, a room in the united nations building it's like they have a prayer room that's for this like international religion that will be deployed at one day and uh the loosest trust is kind of very interesting mysterious uh organization they put produce these books that lou reed uh wrote about so did todd rundgren actually uh, todd rundgren has an album called his songs like it's called like a, a treatise on cosmic fire or something like mm. ridiculous and it's a name of one of these books it's it's really interesting okay i love it. uh keep it in the family a little bit uh with how about television or maybe tom verlaine in particular I'm going to say not only probably they are honestly they're definitely like hot maybe in the uh spook sense but maybe not in a witchcraft sense only because like it didn't work if they were I don't I can't name a single like Marquee Moon I guess is a mm-hmm. song I don't couldn't tell you how it goes television it sucks I I'm sorry they're so overrated it's not even punk it's jam music i'm sorry yeah. no offense so you know I know Mac you're a fan but I'm just I'm sorry I never again I told you I'm kind of I, I agree with you. They're like so overblown. I give don't me a Ramon song. Give me uh give me a Johnny Thunders, even like just don't I can't with television. I cannot. I don't understand how they anyway. I will go off. <laughs> okay, so how about um let's do Leonard Cohen next? Yeah, probably hot. I think that song first we take Manhattan is weird. I love that song though. But yeah, he seems it seems hot. That's only really one I can think of. Uh of his work he's definitely in that same vein though right he feels he's doing some poetry kind of stuff um hot okay and this one a little bit more contemporary but david byrne of the talking heads what do we think interesting hmm 
with, with the exception of Leonard Cohen, these are a lot of CBGB guys. So I'm I'm good. I'm under the I'm under the impression that uh a lot of these guys are hot, but don't let that so, influence. Yeah, I guess it depends. If we're doing spook, yeah, definitely spook hot. They like meta design school or something. If it, it felt weird, there's something very oppy about talking heads for sure. I don't know. I don't get a super like I guess like uh, esoteric vibe. I guess maybe from some of the words, but I haven't really thought about it in that sense. It's funny though. I just realized Talking Heads and television are like both very TV uh, coded for whatever reason, which makes me think I do have these theories that there's like <laughs> like workshops that there was like kind of like uh, yeah these things were developed in a lot of ways. Like there was uh, you know especially when you get to the England part of bunk. Like I don't know CBGBs as much. Maybe some uh, organic stuff, but it just feels very much. Um, running in the lab at times you know mm-hmm. well it's just the rabid popularity with such like uh they had sawdust on the ground uh to like uh, absorb all the vomit like it's <laughs> how this thing became like such a big deal is uh like obviously word of mouth is powerful but i, I there has to be something else at play i, I just don't buy it there's well in england they show them video like there was film like it's so crazy because it happens in rave and it happens in punk where like in England, they show the films of like New York and they kind of like, like literally it's a part of the history that they would yeah. watch these like films of it and that's how they get into punk. And then in Rave, it's the opposite. They show Rave films of England to New Yorkers to get them into like the Rave culture in the United States. It, usually organic scenes don't, you know, you don't need to like a training film typically in my estimation, but you know, what do I know? Okay, last one. And this may hit a little close to home, but Blondie, what do we think? Okay, yeah, she's a definitely a witch. Okay, uh, I all of my thoughts around like uh, the uh, rock and roll conspiracy, the idea that they're esoteric. No, absolutely, absolutely. I'll tell you this. I think that Blondie's like her Johnny, her angel calls on the phone, and I think the songs are about like uh, I think a lot of her songs are about like call me is like we need another hit. Yeah. She's like call me, I need another song. I think they like call and like uh, sing. Songs on the radio. Well, to say nothing about Videodrome. Videodrome. Yeah, like she she's absolutely tapped in. Absolutely. So she's okay. Blondie, Debbie Harry. I love Blondie again, but like she's uh old by the time Blondie starts. Like she's like thirty something. She was in a whole sixties group that failed called Wind in the Willows. Very witch coded. Very witchy vibes. Um, and then their bassist Gary Valentine is an open. Well, he quit the band like halfway through, but he's open occultist. He's written like books. Like that's what he does now. He's an occultist. They have a song called um. I'm always touched by your presence here. And it's loaded. It's, the whole thing's about like esoteric stuff. It's like UFOs, theosophy, et cetera. It's all in there. That's five hots out of five. I feel like it's not looking good for those of us who are not protected against the dark arts or maybe not even the dark arts, but just the, the arts interwoven with the fabric of the universe. It's we're taking it back. back the first step was, uh, you know, just reversing the demons. We'll continue this work. I feel like, uh, I, the tide is turning. That's part of the orange vibe shift. We don't have to be in an uh, ancient secret society to uh, to win anymore. And that's, you know, the Illuminati doesn't like to hear that, but that's the fact. And we are, uh, we're all on the rise, this, uh, this gang of ours. And I don't think we have to worry about it. And we don't need, don't just go and join one of these things. If the devil comes and tells you to sign some paperwork, please don't do it. Mac, talk to me first. You too, Monty. Like, you know what I'm saying? We don't have to do the, uh, the old school Patty Smith method anymore. <laughs> Now more than ever, we need Rosicrucians like yourself to go and uh, decode the mysteries of the universe. I I am a practicing uh, garbologist, and that that is all. Uh, but 
one thing I would say is like all this stuff is fun, right? It is interesting. I don't think you should always associate uh, things like alchemy or uh, even ancient. The number one rule with anything is make sure you're having fun. Have fun. Exactly. It is a game at the end of the day. I feel like there is this idea of uh, life is a, it is a game, you know, have fun and win. Cool. I think we all intend to. So final segment, the, the merit of the pod today um we like to end on something nice so pool house could you let us know about something nice that's happening in your life right now um yeah well at first i was uh invited on this lovely program i'm a mac monty that was very nice it was great thank you for letting me spurg out i feel insane uh, i feel worse now actually but in a good way um, you know, I'm going to say what's nice. Uh, I'm going to see David Moulton, former Backlash guest, uh, Internet Menace and compact writer. He's in the Bay Area. We're going to meet up and it's going to be awesome. I've only gone to meet up with people at IRL a few times and it's always nice. And uh, I'm looking forward to meeting all of us, all of you, everybody. And eventually we will all meet up. It'll be great. But it's, it is nice. So meet your Internet friends. It, it feels good. And um, and if you can't, the next best thing, talk to them about your autistic uh, sessions for a couple hours online. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll meet somewhere beyond the poles. Mm, or beyond the pool. Yeah, beyond the poles is Pool House TV. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Ugh. It's coming. Perfect. Can't wait. <laughs> well, let the good folks at home know what you got going on, Pool House. What would you like to plug? Um, please, uh, yeah, just uh, go to backlash, B-A-C-K-K-L-A-S-H dot org. You can find all my links there to Twitter. Uh, Here comes the backlash. It's a podcast. Listen to it. It's great. Check out the unsilencing also, which is... Uh, cool i'll say it's a mini series it's about alternative timelines and please check out i was there radio where i uh often have a lot of fun with oso blanco my co-host and these guys like they're around a lot Mm -hmm. and i I just love it i like i have a really soft spot in my heart for that tradition of ours and the conversations we get up to and it's fun right it's like not super super schizo like this it's a little bit more dialed down great so thank you so much for coming, Full House. I appreciate it very much. And from all of us here at NICE, we ask that you have a nice day. <laughs>